0: Luke chapter 8, so if you find the book of Matthew, first book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, then Luke, Luke chapter 8, and after we read this, uh, then the children will be dismissed, so we'll read the word of God together. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 26 through verse 39, Luke records this account. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee, and when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met By a demon afflicted man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. And many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot, And kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him, and they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and the demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission. And when the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake, And was drowned. And when those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. And then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. Some, when they see power and authority, overcome with fear. But for those who belong to Jesus, it gives us great rejoicing and hope. So he got into the boat and left. And then the man whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word and to the glorification of his son who has all power and authority. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And the children from kindergarten to sixth grade would be dismissed at this time for Children's Church. For everyone else, we look forward to working through this passage together. We've been in this series on soul care. How is it with your soul? We've looked at things like our identity in Christ. Uh, We've looked at receiving the forgiveness of God through confession and repentance. We've looked at then as a result of the forgiveness we receive, forgiving others so that bitterness and uh, anger and resentment don't grow in our hearts. And the presence of Jesus has space in us. We talked last week about fear, overcoming fear. Today we talk about freedom and that question of how are you experiencing freedom. We wrap this series on how is it with your soul up today with this? So over at the parsonage where we live next door, as you uh, look at the back deck, and as you would go up the back deck into the, the house that way, um, there are stairs that go up. And on the outside edge of the stairs, close to the backyard, there's you know that outer support post, and then the, the roof comes over top there. And in the summer especially in the summer, it's not common that you'll go in at night and everything's nice and clear, but you'll wake up in the morning and there is a gigantic, gigantic spiderweb. I mean, the thing just will almost cover half of that exit as you're going down the stairs. And there are some mornings when I would come out and I would be in a hurry and maybe the sun isn't shining real bright and I would walk through and it would just cover me. Other days I would see it and I'd be able to avoid it and not have anything off on me. But there's some of those days I wouldn't see it, be in a hurry or the sun wasn't shining on it. And I'd just run headlong down the stairs and just walk right into that cobweb. And you got sticky spider cobweb all over you. There are days when maybe I just got a little bit on and so you can kind of brush it off, you can get it off on your own. But then there are other days where it is so covered that you can, I can get some of it off, but I need somebody to come and to wipe the rest off because I can't get it all off on my own. Maybe you've walked through some of that, literally and figuratively. There's even, we've noticed at the top of the stairs uh, coming, if you go down towards the offices, there's a chair right by that entrance to the door. And there's a spider that just loves to make his home there. And you can tear it down and, and it'll happen, it'll come back the next day. These cobwebs are around, and you can see it most when the light is there. You can see it most when the light is there. You know, when we think about this idea of experiencing freedom, and we want to talk about it specifically in the realm of dealing, it, dealing with it in the demonic realm, in the spirit realm. I, I see this as a picture of the influence of the demonic on our lives. We live, I don't think I'm going to be telling anybody anything you don't understand or see already, but we live in a messy world, don't we? A messy world that is affected by the spiritual world. Sometimes in our Western view of the world, we don't see the way the spirit world and the natural world come together. We almost see like the spirit world's out there and demons are in Africa somewhere. And the natural world is here. You know, over there it mingles together. But here and we don't sometimes see it or we don't want to see it because our worldview, westernly, has messed up our ability to see it come together. But even if we don't see it that way, it doesn't change the reality that it is that way. And so we walk through this messy world affected sometimes by the spirit world. Sometimes we walk through it, and it's okay on our own. We can get it off on our own. Other times we get covered in it, and we need the help of others to get it off of us. Sometimes we, we see it on purpose. We see it there, and we walk into it on purpose. Other times we just walk through life and don't realize because maybe light isn't shining on it. The light of Jesus, when we were walking in ignorance in some areas, but the more the light of Jesus begins to shine on us, the more we can see the, the gobs and the stickiness that will get on us spiritually sometimes. But how do we deal with it? Whether we walk into it fully aware, and we'll talk a way sometimes you might walk into this stuff fully aware. Other times... If you walk into it unaware, how do we do it? How do we deal with it? How, how are we able at the end of the series to say, yes, it is, it is well with my soul? How are we able to say, yes, I am experiencing the power of the blood that we're saying about this morning, not just in salvation, but in walking in greater sanctification, being set free from the works of the evil one. Jesus came to set us free, amen? Amen came to set us free, set us free at salvation, but the experiential carrying it out, walking it out, is a lifelong journey of being set free from the power of sin, from the power of death, and from the power of the devil. And so this morning, may we come to understand a little bit more how to walk in that and how to experience it, and may we continually experience it today. Some lessons, there's Bolton notes, sermon notes in your bulletin, and then there'll be some extra things. If you're an extra note taker, some extra things to write on from the screen. But we want to start here with this, with this thought first. We may need to click it. So first, we need to begin by distinguishing between this idea of possessed and demonized, Okay. Because as many translations, and I, and I read in the NIV, but there are many translations also who will say, as it says in verse 26 and, or, and 27, they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, this Gentile region, which is, across the lake, which is across the lake from Galilee. And when Jesus stepped ashore, he is met by a man. And in the NIV, it says a demon-possessed man from the town. Now, when we think of possession... And I think this is, okay, there we go. When we think of possession, we think of owned. We think of ownership. Possession in the sense of ownership. And so for a lot of times, we will sit in church and we'll think, oh, that is all about non-believers. And possession and ownership is about non-believers. Because if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you, the blood of Jesus has covered all of your sins. He's rescued you from the kingdom of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of light. He's adopted you as a son. You belong to him if you're a believer in Christ, amen? And so this idea of possession and ownership is just not the best translation because when we think possessed is, oh, that's something that non-believers have. And certainly the issue for non-believers is in the realm of the demonic, first and foremost, is they need to come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. That's where it starts. But for believers in Jesus Christ, because the word that is there is not best possessed, it's demonized or or afflicted, this concept gives us the idea, well, that's something that that non-believers deal with if it's possession. But the question that is often asked is, can a Christian be afflicted, or demonized? And the answer is absolutely yes. A Christian cannot be possessed in the sense of ownership, but a Christian can be demonized. A demon can afflict and influence a believer. Christians are not exempt. Christians are not exempt from the influence of a demonic spirit. And the reason that is, is because of this idea of grounds that creates space for a person to be afflicted by a demonic spirit. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, it says this, In your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Do not give the devil a foothold. Now, specifically, this is the issue of anger, but really it can be about any area. And it's interesting, Paul is not writing to non-believers, he's writing to the church in Ephesus. He's writing to Christians. And so he says, specifically when he's talking about anger, is in your anger, don't sin. So it's possible to be righteously anger and not sin. But in your anger, do not sin. And if you're still angry with someone, don't let the sun go down without dealing with it in your heart, without working it out in your heart by offering forgiveness to that person. Because if you do not do that, there is the possibility that you can give the devil a foothold. The original language, the uh, language that the Ephesians would have read this in, they would have understood that word, foothold, to be the the word topos, which is where we get the word topography, maps and space and ground, an understanding of ground, that what is at stake here, and the reason that a believer can be demonized is because our sin, and we're going to look at... in a moment, some opportunities that can invite this into our lives is we can open up space in our lives for a demonic spirit to gain a foothold, to gain space in our soul, and to afflict us, to demonize us, to cause life to be difficult. Some grounds that may create space for affliction are things Like this. One is sin. Sin. It makes sense. (laughs) In your anger, do not what? (laughs) Sin. Because if you do and you let the sun go down while you're still angry, you can give the devil space for a foothold in your life. And so sin can invite and open up space in our soul for the enemy to gain a foothold for space in our soul. I would see this as kind of two areas of sin. One would be sins of the body. Things like sexual promiscuity. Anytime there is sexual activity outside the boundaries of marriage, as God's intended it, between a man and a woman, anytime there is sexual activity outside of that, there's pornography, anything outside where there is sexual intimacy that is uh, done uh, that takes place outside of a husband and a wife in the context of marriage opens the door for the work of a demon. It doesn't happen all the time, but it can be a way. Things such as alcohol and drug abuse, sins of the body can welcome in the work of the demonic in our lives. That's one category of sin. Sins of the body where our body gets connected to something of sinful practice. The other area of sin is that habitual, ongoing sin patterns. Now, if I go out and I'm angry with someone, and I sin one time because I'm angry, but I'm going to work it out and I'm going to deal with it, we don't have to worry about it. Every time I sin, oh no, there could be a demon connected to my life. This is the ongoing habitual stuff. If I'm continually angry and I'm continually angry and I don't deal with this and it, has, it begins to have a hold on my life, we can allow the enemy to have space in us. So we can have things like greed can, take space, can allow space in us. If it's continual gossip and slander of other people, that can open up space in us. If we are constantly giving in to fear, that can open up space in us. If we are in the places of, boy, I'm just going to uh, continually go after all kinds of sinful practices, and it's the thing that I am doing habitually, those things, because of my decisions to enter into, not the one-time slip-ups here and there, and, oh, man, I'm sorry, Lord, forgive me, cleanse me. That's, those aren't those places. But it's in the places where it becomes that continual pattern of habit in our lives that there's the possibility that it opens up space in our lives. A second area outside of sin is abuse. This is abuse that has been done to us, whether it's physical or emotional or sexual, when we are, when we are victimized by another person in these ways. And let me tell you, it doesn't, it's not that it's every single time, but it is much more often when people have been abused by others, the enemy does not play fair. The enemy does not play fair. Things that was not their 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 doing, the enemy doesn't play fair. Another area is occult activity. Occult activity. So things like things like witchcraft and wicca, things like Ouija boards and magic eight balls. We may say, oh, that's just, you know, just kind of fun. It, there's real things attached to it. Things like ancestor worship. And one of the areas that happens more and more um, is the the realm of the, the secret societies. Things like Masonic, things like Eastern Star Orders, those kinds of things can be opening doors for the enemy to have space in our lives. I had an interaction with uh, an individual one time who was working through some soul care things, and we had time of prayer over this. And there was a deep-rooted spirit in their lives because their grandfather was involved in, Mas- in a Masonic lodge and in a Masonic ritual had dedicated a yet-to-be first grandchild to the enemy. And that was him. And that was the roots, which lead us to the last one, and that is generational. Generational. This is one that we struggle with because, oh, God doesn't punish me for the sins of my fathers. But we see, don't we? We see patterns that get passed down generationally. We see practices like, oh, my grandfather had this issue and my, my dad has this issue and I have this, you know, we We can see these things generationally. And sometimes these generational spirits can get passed down generation after generation after generation. The enemy doesn't play fair. And so though the Lord may not punish us for the sins of my fathers, the enemy says, I'm going to take that as a legal ground to have space in a person's life. And so these are ways, and we want to distinguish between the possessed and the demonized to show that a believer can, in fact, be demonized. Some on purpose through sin, some because of what was done to me, Some things that have been passed down. So I want to try to illustrate this for a second. So, Jake, if you'd come for a moment. Now, come on up. So now, Jake is just an example here, all right? So Jake is going to walk across the stage first. This is what is possible and what Jesus intends for us, right? Let's give him a round of applause. Okay? This, is what, this is what Jesus died for Jake for, that he would walk through life following after Jesus, engaging with him in intimacy, engaging with other believers, engaging on mission, free to follow what Jesus has created him to do. So he can walk without anything impeding him, following the lead of Jesus, knowing the fellowship of Christ. But let's say in Jake's life there was something that... Opened a door for the demonic. Now, Jake, walk around. Okay. All right. Now you, can't, now, now, you were able to move around some, right? Yeah. But it was a lot harder. This is the work of what demonization looks like in a believer. You can walk. You can live. You can follow. But there's something hanging on you. I'm not in Jake. And I don't own Jake, but I can hang on him and make life more difficult. Okay, let's give Jake a round of applause. Thank you, Jake. Okay, so so that's the picture when we're looking at this. Possession is this inside. And so believers are not possessed, owned. But there can be spirits hanging on us. And it can be anybody. Anybody. we'll share the the ways to get free of this in a minute, but I just want to share that about a month ago, in my soul care journey, in my walking with Jesus, in my sanctification process, the Lord showed me an area where there was a spirit that had some grip on me that I wasn't aware of. It had just been like that for a long, 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 long time. I actually didn't really know life any differently. But the Lord revealed it, shined the light on, showed where the cobweb was, the, the, the light shone on the cobweb, and I was able to get it off. And so I want to share that just to be able to kind of normalize this a little bit. Because we often just think, oh, that's for people who are really in bad, bad shape. And maybe you're thinking, oh, he's in really bad, bad shape. But here's just the reality of walking in with Jesus in a messy world of working out our stuff and allowing the Holy Spirit to do that soul care work in us. There can be things in our lives that he and his appointed time shows us and says, you don't need to carry that anymore. I want to set you free of that. And he breaks it off of us. So I share that just in full vulnerability and transparency to say, hey, this is just part of walking things out with Jesus. Okay? All right. Distinguish between the possessed and demonized. Second, we want to look at some symptoms. I'm having a problem with my clicker today. All right. So we want to look at symptoms of demonization. In verses 27 and 29, it says, when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed. We're going to now say, anytime you see this in Scripture, if you read it, say, demon afflicted, okay, or demonized man from town. And for a long time, this man had not worn clothes. Okay, so, so listen to the state of this man. He had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but he had lived in the tombs. Okay, verse 29. It says, many times this spirit, these spirits had seized him and though he was chained, hand and foot, and kept under guard. So you have people who are standing guard over this man, because, man, this guy is strong, he's dangerous, he's out there, things aren't right with him. He had broken them off, these chains off, and then driven by the demon out into a solitary place, and in some translations, out into the wilderness. This poor man is dealing with significant symptoms of demonization. So from Rob Reimer's book on soul care, I want to share seven and we'll just walk through these quick because these are things that we want to think through. The first is hearing voices or audi- whether audible or in thoughts. There are those who would hear voices. And and I just want to say here right at the beginning of looking at all of these that these the soul is a difficult thing to diagnosed sometimes. Because there is mental illness, there are physical ailments, and there is demon stuff. Sometimes it's, it's also you need just to have healing prayer. It's nothing to do with the spirits. It has everything to do with just there's wounds in our lives. And so these are, are not a, if that is, if you hear voices, or we'll look at more specifically thoughts, it doesn't necessarily mean that it is demonic. It just means, okay, pay attention. We want to kind of discern this together. So that's one. in voices, audible, or in thoughts, we'll look at specific thoughts in a moment. Second is rage. This is not about losing your temper. This is about that blinding, supernaturally empowered anger or rage where it's out of control. There are families, uh, Dr. Reamer says that they have a name for this. They're like, oh, that person's going this, going crazy. And there's a name for it even, rage. A third one is a feeling tortured or tormented, whether physically or psychologically. And again, this can be mental illness kinds of things that the Lord can bring healing to, or we need to, to see a doctor of some sort or be on medication of some sort. There's, there's a wide range of how you develop and how you minister to this, physically or psychologically, feeling tortured or tormented. Blasphemous thoughts is the third one, or fourth one. Specifically, and a lot of times this is in church or in times of devotion or worship, and you have thoughts that come that are just like, oh man, where did that come from? They're usually thoughts that come to mind that are against God. There was a woman one time that we prayed with, and she got free of some of these things, and she said after, she said, many times you would be preaching on Sunday morning, and In the midst of the the sermon, there would be these thoughts that were running around like, I hate him. Just shut up. They weren't her thoughts. It's not what she wanted. But those were thoughts that demonic spirits were giving her. They were blasphemous thoughts or they were coming against the truth of God. Condemning or uh, blasphemous thoughts. Third or fifth. Boy, my numbers aren't very good. Fifth, condemning thoughts. These are thoughts that bring accusation against you. These are sins that are way past, and you know they're under the blood of Jesus, but they just keep coming up. They get, keeps brought, being brought up. Accusations, belittling, condemning, saying you're, you're never going to do anything. You're never going to be anything. Saying you're worthless, shaming you for things of the past. These condemning thoughts. Sixth, suicidal thoughts. Suicidal thoughts. He talks about in his book being on a beautiful day driving down the road and driving and then the sun's shining and maybe your favorite song is on, the wind's blowing in your hair because you have the windows down and all of a sudden the thought comes into your mind, I should just drive over into that tree over there. Like, it's not your thought. You're like, whoa, where did that come from? And the last one is self-harm. Self-harm. In the Mark passage, Mark chapter 5, that is the side-by-side passage, the parallel passage to the Luke 8 passage, the man is cutting himself in the tombs. And if you, if you know culture today, one of the huge problems is, is cutting. And so those are things that would be there, self-harm. Sometimes it is to just dull pain. That's the motivation. Other times there's more involved. So we need to look at these. Not all of these are demonic. The soul is this complicated thing with both physical and mental health issues at play, but any of these symptoms, you're saying, "Oh, yeah, that might be there. That I can relate to that." Should cause us to consider, okay, Lord, what do you want? To, what are you showing? What light might you be bringing into my life? So these are not necessarily exciting things. The first gives us some foundation. This is symptoms, but now. We want to look and behold the authority of Jesus. Because this story takes a dramatic turn once Jesus shows up. This man's life takes a dramatic turn once Jesus shows up. In verse 28 through 33, I want to read it again. Is, when this man and the demon in him sees Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. Now, now. Understand that this is not the man saying this. This is the demon in him saying this. Verse 29, for Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and we went through that, the ways that it had really brought affliction to this man. Verse 30, Jesus asked him, what's your name? legion he replied because many demons had gone into him and they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and the demons again begged jesus to let them go into them and he gave them permission and when the demons came out of the man they went into the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned we see the authority of jesus on full display here don't we We see the authority of Jesus. As soon as he gets off of this boat, the man comes to him, driven by the demon who understands who Jesus is as the son of the most high God. And he says, what have you done? Are you coming here to torture us? Are you coming here to torture us? And then when Jesus comes to cast him out, they say, Please don't send us to the abyss yet. The ultimate end of all demons and Satan will be in the abyss at the end of time. This is the place. They say, Don't. We understand your authority. We understand your power. Don't send us there. Send us somewhere else. But they're begging him. A couple times in this passage, it says that they beg him because they recognize that Jesus has all power, that Jesus has all authority. And they fall down before him in their posture and they recognize his power and authority. And they beg him, they beg him, don't torture us. Don't send us away to the abyss yet. Here's the good news. Jesus, he has authority over all the demons. Prior to the cross, because he is the son of God and in heaven, he has all authority. On earth, he came to take the authority of Satan back. And this is what happened at the cross in Colossians chapter 2 verses 13 to 15. It says, when you, this is speaking of us, were dead in our sins and in the uncircumcision of our sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that took and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. That is why we can sing there's power in the blood. Amen. Because the blood of Jesus has washed our sins far away from us. But then this last part, and having disarmed the powers and the authorities, who are the powers and the authorities? Is this the government? No. The powers and the authorities are Satan and all of his demons in the spirit realm. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle, and I believe this public spectacle is in the spirit realm, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, we look at this and we're like, oh, that's cool. Yay, Jesus. But in Paul's day, he's writing to those who knew the Roman emperor, who knew the Roman empire, and who knew what Rome did when they conquered a people. The Caesars would come back having conquered kings sometimes, having conquered military uh, armies, and they would parade them, the Caesar would ride in on a conquering white horse. He would ride through the streets of Rome and behind them would be the the kings, the conquered peoples. Behind him would be the armies that had been defeated and taken captive. They would parade them through completely disarmed and all of the city of Rome would gather and would cheer the power and the authority of Caesar and of Rome. And oftentimes what he would do is then he would take the king and in front of everybody, he would put the king down on the ground and he would step on his throat. And he would do some other things. I'm not going to mention here on Sunday morning. But in other words, he would humiliate and stand over and completely show that he was in power and they were not. And Paul is using this kind of imagery to be able to remind us what Jesus has done at the cross. Not only has he forgiven us of our sins, but he's taken all the spiritual authorities in the heavenly realms, all of Satan and his demons, and he's paraded them before all of heaven. And he disarmed them, taking the power away that one day he's going to come back and make final. But he steps on Satan's throat and he says, you are a defeated, powerless foe. Now Jesus has ascended it back into heaven and he did this amazing thing for us. He did this amazing thing. He did the hard work for us at the cross. And if we can click to the next one. He did the hard work at the cross. One more. Gaining the authority back. Now he gives his authority to us. So... You may say, okay, well, Satan's a defeated foe. He's been stepped on on his throat. He doesn't have any power and authority. One day, Jesus will finalize all of this when King Jesus returns in power and glory and sets everything right. But until then, here's what he's done. He's given us his authority to enforce his authority here. So you may say, okay, so if Jesus did that on the cross, then why does the enemy still have power? Why can the enemy still afflict us? Christians' lives? Why does the enemy still torture people today here on this earth? Why does he do all of that? And here's the reason. Because he's given that ministry to his people, the church of Jesus Christ. And so the question is not well why do they still do that? The question is why haven't we enforced the authority of Christ against them? Sometimes we're like oh things are going crazy and the demons are doing this and that and that. The the thing isn't why Are they still doing it? The question is, why hasn't the church arisen in the authority of Jesus and enforced his authority in the lives in my life? Why am I not enforcing the authority of Christ over my life more and more? And why are we as a church not setting captives free? Because he's given that ministry to us. And so this is shining the light on. This is reality, and it's not something that happens in Africa. It happens here as well. And so Jesus died and he gave us this ministry. In Ephesians one nineteen to 23, I encourage you to read it, is he has all power and all authority. Everything is under his feet. He's seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly realms, and he's given all of this power and authority to the church. And then, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 to 7, it says, We are seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly realms. In other words, all authority that he has, he's given to us. Everything is under his feet, and in our spiritual position, everything is under our feet. Behold the authority of Jesus. Jesus has the authority over it, and he's given it to us to exercise until the day that he returns. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? This is just another area of ministry that he's given to us for our own lives and the care of our soul and our lives so that more of his presence is in us but also in helping to set captives free. Behold the authority of Jesus. So how do you do this? We skip to the next one. Know the path to freedom. And we want to do it the way Jesus did it and again... A lot of this, these are steps that we see Jesus do much of, but it really is about following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. There have been many, ide- many times that I've been involved in this in my own life and in others' lives, and I had absolutely no idea what to do next. No idea. But Jesus knows. And the Holy Spirit knows. And he loves to tell us what to do next if we can wait upon him. And he shows us And so here's the path to freedom. First, verse 30 says, Jesus asks him, this man and the demon in him, what is your name? I I often wonder what this man's name was. But we don't know. We just know it's Legion. What's your name? Legion. Because many demons had gone into him. Jesus communicated again with the demon, not the man. The demon identified himself as Legion. And so here's something that that may sound weird, but demons take names. And usually the name is directly associated with the work that they do. You see, this man had legion because there were many. He was the leader of many demons in this man's life. Demons will take the name of what they do. And so a demon that empowers and does the work of fear in a person's life will often be named fear. Fear. A demon that empowers the work of lust in a person's life will often be named what? Okay, this is audience participation time. Will often be named what? Lust. A demon who, who empowers the work of pride will be named what? How about anger? Bitterness. And on and on and on. So if you want to know the name of the demon, you seek to understand the work of the demon. Jesus sees the work of the demon. The demon has taken this name Legion. So we identify the demon, not just to know its name, but to know the work. And then secondly, we break the ground. After identifying the name, we seek to understand the ground that they claim for being present in a person's life. This is why these last couple weeks of soul care, why we end with this message. Because the soul care work helps us to identify the reason that a spirit might be present in our lives. And so, for instance, when we forgive another person, we can break the grounds of anger or bitterness that a spirit might hold. When we receive the forgiveness of God the Father after confessing our sin to him and then confessing our sin to another believer and living in the light with another a spirit of shame or a spirit of condemnation or a spirit of accusation will lose its ground because we no longer have a secret hidden in the shadows. We broke the reason that it's there. Or when we allow Jesus to heal the wounds of our lives that were caused by being victimized by abuse, we break the grounds that no longer has a right to be there because Jesus has met us in that place. Or when we confess our involvement or that of a family member in occult practices, the ground is broken. We're looking for the reason that it is there, and then we're dealing with the reason. Because when we break the ground, the demon no longer has a right legally to be in our lives. When we do that, once the ground is broken, then we have the opportunity to command them to come out. Verse 29 For Jesus had commanded the evil or unclean spirit to come out of the man. After doing the soul care work, we command them to leave. We command them not because I'm great, but because Jesus is. We take our authority, we take our position in Jesus, and we command them by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ to come out. And then verses 31 to 33, the reminder, they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. One day they will. A large herd of pigs was feeding, and they said, can we go there? And Jesus sends them into the pigs, and the pigs run off the cliff and down and are drowned. So we send them. When we command them to come out, we send them where Jesus tells us to go, or tells them to go. We send them where Jesus tells them to go. Those those demons begged Jesus not to go to the abyss. He's merciful to them in that moment, sends them to the pigs. The key is always go where Jesus sends you. Command you to come out and to go in the authority of Christ where Jesus sends you. He always does what's right. He always does what's best. We don't have to worry about it. We send them to him. And then lastly, and I don't have it on here, but we always ask the Holy Spirit to fill the space that they once were in. So if Jake is, you come back real quick. So if, if, if that spirit's been hanging on Jake for a while, sending him out, and, and it's been identified and commanded and sent to the feet of Jesus, Jake is free, but what we want, and we don't want Jake just to be free of that spirit. We want the spirit of God to come, and wherever that spirit had grabbed on, we want Jesus, by his spirit, to now have control over that, and the spirit of God, and these are often awesome opportunities for more of the spirit of God to have present his presence in us for more of his the love of the father for more of the affirmation of the spirit over our lives the affirmation of Jesus thank you so we don't just say get out of here now we say holy spirit come (laughs) where it once was bad there are bad spirits and good spirits and the good spirit is the holy spirit we don't want the bad we want Jesus we want Jesus Lastly, this is where we wrap up. We see the freedom Jesus brings. Verses 34 to 39, again, when those tending the pigs saw what happened, they run off in fear. They're like, we've never seen anything like this. And the people come out, verse 35, to see what's happened. And when they come, they, they find this man who they all knew, so tormented. They find this man whom the demons had gone out of, sitting at Jesus's feet. Before he was unclothed. He was not in his right mind. He was doing all kinds of things, and he's sitting. Notice the difference. Before people could, he's chained hand and foot. They have guards at him, and he's breaking off. This is not a guy who just sits in peace, but this is now a man who sits at the feet of Jesus, who is dressed, and then who is in his right mind, and they don't, they've never seen anything like this, and it strikes fear in their heart. They're like, who is this man? Some pastors say, Jesus, we don't want you around here anymore. We are afraid. We've never seen power and authority like that. Please leave. And Jesus does. But the man, verse 38, from whom the demons had gone, he now begs Jesus, can I go with you? (laughs) Jesus, you have done so much for me. Can I come with you? But Jesus doesn't allow him to come. He says, return home and tell how much God has done for you. And so the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. We see the freedom that Jesus brings. Jesus sets captives free as a testimony to others. It's for the blessing of that man, but also as a testimony to others. I wonder whether that man the Lord used to bring freedom to others. I don't know, but I know he told the story about the one who set him free.